Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. If you look at your outlines, you'll see that uh, we're dealing with the walk of faith. You'll see that this is part one. I'm not sure if it's going to be a two-parter or a three-parter. I think it's going to be a two-parter. But uh, as you just read, he that comes to God must believe that he is. And the reality is, as we would all say, of course we do. We'll talk about that next week. And that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And none of us would disagree with that. We'll talk about that next week. Well, what about this week? Well, let's start at the beginning. So notice, uh, faith for salvation. The word faith uh, is used in a, a lot of different ways, depending on the versions that you're looking at. Uh, first of all, we have the word believe. Okay, that's your first line. If you hadn't seen there it is. Uh, the word believe, this comes from uh, basically a noun and a uh, verb here. Uh, pistis or pisteuo. Uh, it means, pistis is persuasion, credence, moral conviction of religious truth or of the truthfulness of God or a religious teacher, reliance upon Christ for salvation, constancy in such profession, the system of religious gospel truth, itself assurance, believe, belief, uh, faith, uh, fidelity. It's interesting when you're looking at a lexicon, a dictionary for Greek words, how um, theology comes into the definition. Okay, the word means to be to believe. <laughs> okay, uh, now it throws in here reliance upon Christ for salvation. If you're believing, you're relying upon Christ for salvation, maybe. Okay. Um, so the, a little bit of the theology has gotten in there. Don't have a problem with it. I agree with it, but it, it means to believe. Pisteuo, uh, to have faith in, upon, or with respect to a person or thing. To credit, to entrust, especially one's spiritual well-being to Christ. See that theology in there. Uh, to believe, or a believer, commit, to trust, to put in trust with. One of pastor's favorite songs, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What did we commit, those of us that are believers, what did we commit to him against that day? If you will, our souls are eternities. Okay? Um, you know, a lot of people... You know, Al, you, you joke too much. Um, and, and I'm not going to argue the point. I probably do in some cases when maybe I shouldn't. But do you know there are only three things that are worth getting wound up about? Because only three things are eternal. Obviously God, His Word, and the souls of men. After that, everything's pretty much temporary, okay? Uh, got the privilege of visiting Alaska here recently, and can I tell you, 
The mountains in the Gustavus area are absolutely majestic. They're beautiful. And at 4.30 in the morning, you can see them clearly because it is lighter than this at 4.30 in the morning, providing there's no clouds, you know. Um, but the reality is, is, wow, what a beautiful world we live in. And each part has its, its uh, beauty. You've got the mountains over there in the Rockies. Eh? Go over to the Appalachian Mountains. There's some beautiful stuff there. The White Mountains, the Green Mountains, uh, the Smoky Mountains. There's a lot of, and those are all little hills compared to the Rockies, you know. Uh, there's a lot of beauty in this fallen world. And it's all going to burn up. And it's going to be changed. And it's going to be perfect. The lion's going to lay down and with the lamb and all that kind of good stuff. But even that may be temporary. It might last a thousand years. It might be eternal, but I don't know because I'm not clear on that yet. When I am, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay? But uh, within the beauty of it all, uh, there's other problems, and that's why we need Christ. Uh, the next word that's used at times for uh, believe or faith is the word trust. Trust. Uh, it's elpidzo in the Greek. It means to expect or confide, to have a thing or hoped uh, for or to trust. Uh, we pretty well understand the concept of trust. Uh, we enter into relationships with a certain amount of trust. Some relationships have a little bit of trust. The longer they go on, the more trust there is. And uh, hopefully that trust is not uh, betrayed in any way, shape, or form. And then another word that is translated from time to time, believe, uh, is the word obey. Patho. To convince by argument, true or false. To pacify, to conciliate by other fair means. To assent, notice that's the idea of believing, uh, to evidence or authority. To rely, uh, the idea of trusting by inward certainty. To agree, to assure, believe, have confidence, make a friend, obey, persuade, trust, yield. Let me read a couple of verses for you. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him already. You know what the word for believe is there? A-petheo. It's the verb form of petho, and it's got an A in front of it, which means not. It negates. They're not obeying. But notice, it's translated believe. See what I'm saying? So the concept of believing, trusting, and obeying are all found in this concept of faith. Uh, letter B, faith in what or whom? Um, first of all, faith in the gospel. Uh, unfortunately, the gospel has been watered down. Now, we might say, no, it's, it's not that bad. Oh, yes, unfortunately it is. And sometimes in our kinds of churches, maybe even among some of you. I'll give you some examples. When I was uh, on uh, the list to go to Brazil as a missionary appointee, I went around to a variety of churches like this one, most of them found in the IFCA directory. 
That's I fight Christians anyway. No, that's not what it is. Uh, um, Independent Fundamental Churches of America. Now it's just IFCA International because they have churches outside of America. But uh, went around to a lot of churches that belong in the same group that this church belongs to. And uh, I asked, what is the gospel? Now, none of the answers that I received were wrong. They just weren't right. Okay? I'll give you an example. It's the Word of God. Now, is the gospel the Word of God? Sure enough, is. Okay? The issue is, is when I say the Word of God, I'm usually talking about the Bible. And uh, therefore, I have 33,100 verses, 1,189 chapters. Do I got to know it all? Because I've been at it for 41 years, and I still don't know it all. Okay? Is salvation even attainable at that point? So, yes, the gospel is a specific message that is God's Word to us. Hallelujah. Okay? Uh, the second answer, because I gave them those stats, well, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Kind of like, yep. Uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, have the Gospel in it. But there's a lot of chapters, a lot of verses still. And to be honest with you, there's still a few things said there that I'm not totally up on. Okay, so what is the Gospel? Well, it's the good news. Yes, that's what the word gospel means. Can you tell me what the good news is? Almost every single time, a woman gave the right answer. Now, I don't say that to pat you women on the back. I say that men step up, okay? That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. Good. Now we know what the gospel is. But, if you ask the average Christian today why God should let them go to heaven, you know what the answer is? Christ died for my sins. And see, in believing or trusting that Christ died for my sins, maybe I'll even say a prayer. I went forward at a church and I said a prayer. Christ died for my sins. Paul said, if Christ did not rise, we above all people are without hope. So what does that indicate? That if it's only Christ died for my sins, yeah, you're still not going to heaven. See, the resurrection, according to Romans 1.4, he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. In Romans 4.25, it says, He was delivered up for our transgressions and raised again for our justification. Without the resurrection, you're not getting to heaven. So when I say the gospel has been watered down in good evangelical churches, most people, well, just Jesus died for my sins. And I'll sit there and say, so you worship a dead guy? Here's the first answer. Yeah. Oh, um, no. He rose again. Okay? He has to have risen again or our faith is useless. And, it, and if it's useless, I don't know about you, 
But there's all kinds of other fun to be doing on Sunday morning, even sleeping. Okay, just saying. Okay, notice, Jesus died for our sins, or if you ask him into your heart, you get to go to heaven when you die. The the watered-down gospel is all about you getting to heaven, and that's it. And, And I want you to understand from a biblical perspective, look at letter B here, the biblical understanding of the gospel, which I've already recited from 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the incarnation and sinless life of Christ. Uh, Years ago, I I was talking about the gospel in this church. Therefore, everybody knows the answers, right? Okay, good. Um, But uh, pastor said, Al, the gospels are 28, 16, 24, and 21 or 22 chapters long. What's talked about Christ dying for our sins, being buried and rose again, are only a few chapters in there. There's so much more. Why is it only that? And when you go to 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ. That's the rest of the Gospels. All those other chapters proving He's the Christ. He's the chosen one. He's the one that's been anointed by God to be the Savior. That's why all those other chapters are in there. So his sinless life and his incarnation and sinless life. And and then number two, the death and burial. Uh, Why do I have to throw the burial in there? Uh, Several years ago, a book came out and they made a movie, uh, The Da Vinci Code. Okay, The, The people that believe in The Da Vinci Code believe that Jesus fainted. And when they put him in the cool grave, he woke up. And then he moved off to France and had children with Mary Magdalene. Guys, the reason why they bury you is because you're dead. Okay? The Roman soldiers understood what a dead person looked like. They, they probably knew various areas they could touch. Don't feel anything, uh, you know, and, and get a pulse. They stabbed him in the chest with a spear, and blood and water came out, indicating that the, the blood's already separating into serum and, and the red blood cells. He's dead, and therefore buried. Okay, notice in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, just like God said he would in the Old Testament. And he's buried. Where's the according to the Scripture? It is in the Old Testament. But it's not necessary. Why? Because that's what you do with dead people. You don't keep them around. Uh, Unless you're just a little bit off, you know what I mean. And then, of course, the third part here, the resurrection. And he was raised again the third day according to the Scripture. Now, I don't know about you, but... There's some indications in the Old Testament, some verses that really kind of, whoo, yeah, there's got to be a resurrection. There's got to be. Three days. Where do we get that idea? An adulterous generation seeks after a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. As he was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, 
destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. Now, I know those are two different passages, but there's your three days. It comes from, now, when you're reading Jonah, do you ever get the idea, oh, yeah, he's only going to be in the grave for three days? No. You see that he's in the belly of the whale for three days. We're literalists, you know. But that's it. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Now, that's the what we're believing in. What about the whom? Well, number two. The person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 20, 21, it says, Testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, uh, it's interesting when I'm sharing the gospel with people on Thursday morning in our benevolent meetings, uh, I have to help them understand what being saved is really all about. Um, I shouldn't have to in a church, but I'm going to. Being saved is not getting a ticket to heaven. Okay? It's not getting a ticket to heaven. It is entering into a relationship with the living God, whereby He changes you. He makes you into a new person. He, he does 283 things to you at the moment of salvation. Uh, that's at least what one theologian says. But he, he makes you a new person. Why? Because you, the old one, <laughs> there wasn't a thing about you that was going to heaven. Okay? Even this body is not going to heaven. Okay? This body, whether it be through rapture or death, is going to be changed. Because I enter into a relationship with the living God, and He's changing me. Okay? You're entering into a relationship with the living God whereby He changes you, and little by little over your lifetime makes you look more like Jesus. Gives you the Spirit of God, the Word of God, gifts so that you might now live unto Him, not live for yourself with the hopes of going to heaven someday. So with that in mind, when we see repentance, we think, well, we got to stop doing all those things we used to do. In Romans 10.9a, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, how many people in this world can say that Jesus is Lord, the words, and not be saved? Well, Jesus said, On that day, many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? And they're going to go on and expand that. Didn't we prophesy in your name? In other words, we declared the word of God. Didn't we do miracles in your name? And didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he's going to say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, I don't know about you, but when you look at those three descriptions, I have no problem proclaiming the Word of God. Haven't done any miracles lately. And though I think sometimes some of our kids may be demon-possessed, 
haven't cast out any demons. You know, normally I'd get it wrong anyway. I say, come out of that demon, Gordon. Or, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but the reality is, is if you're going to measure lives, they did more than most of us do. And he calls them workers of iniquity and says, I never knew you. We were never in the relationship that salvation brings. Interesting. So repentance really deals more with the concept of who's the boss of your life. Um, Daniel and Samantha are about to have a little girl named Charlotte Lynn. Charlie is going to be her um, nickname. And uh, I'd, I'd, Hannah and Jason are about to have another girl in December. And we don't know her name yet. They're, they're a little slow on the uptake. I don't know. Uh, but uh, Ida's going to have a little sister. And um, boy, aren't, aren't they? Oh, in fact, I think we have a new one back there, not sitting in the middle of the aisle, I hope. Uh, Jeanetta's here tonight. Hallelujah. Or this morning. And oh, Rick, Rick's got the little one. <laughs> there that little Anderson baby is. Dirty, rotten, scum of the earth sinner. I know some of you don't like that, but I, I want you to understand, even babies are infected by sin. They get it from their fathers, Rit. And, and most of the time, you mothers are very much in agreement. Well, it's your daughter. It's your son. You know, We do the same thing right back to you, uh, jokingly, knowing that, man, I wish they didn't take after me. You know, But uh, the reality is, is, they, they live for themselves because they're sinners. They make choices about what's good here. Uh, two of my granddaughters, the older one, she doesn't always like it when the younger one's getting a little bit of attention. And so she'll do things to knock her off the piano bench, things like that. I, I, when I was a kid, I, I took my Tonka truck and hit my sister in the head and then my dad took my Tonka truck and hit me in the head. So if you wanted to know what happened, that, that's what it was. Um, but see, why did I do that? Why, why does Leah do that to Izzy? Because I'm the boss. I need to get the glory, the attention, what I want. And when we repent, we come to Him knowing He is the Lord. I'm not anymore. The Pope can say that Jesus is Lord. Look at his doctrine. I can't tell you to look at his life because he lives in this castle with walls around it and you don't get to see anything unless they want you to see it. But look at his doctrine. Jesus is not Lord. Mary might be. Okay? And if that offends you, please go and check your Bible compared to your Catholic doctrine. Okay? I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm stating truth here. So when repentance comes, it's about who's going to be the boss of your life. Now, do, do we struggle with who's going to be the boss of our life after we're saved? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul in uh, Romans chapter 7, you know, the things I want to do as a new creature, the things I want to do, I don't do those things. Who's the boss? There's a law of sin in this body. And as long as I'm in this body, it's going to be a battle. 
With my mind, I'm going to serve the law of God. With my flesh, I'm going to serve the law of sin. See, that's the battle that goes on in all of us. Now, we may grow spiritually to where it doesn't seem to be as much of a battle, but as long as you're in this body, it's a battle. Who's going to be the boss? And if you belong to Him, Lord willing, you're coming around to submission every single time. That's repentance, His Lordship. What about faith? Faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ in your uh, outline there. The, the concept of trust in Romans 10, 9b, it says, And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Notice, where's the death? It's after the resurrection in that verse. Yes, the death is important. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Without the death, there's no justification because there has to be a resurrection from which the justification comes. So we're trusting in who he is and what he did to be saved, to be born again. Now, you would think I wouldn't have to say that in this kind of church. I want you to understand that even we are susceptible to the watering down of the gospel. Where does it normally show itself? Children's ministries. When we went up to uh, Gustavus, uh, we got there the second day of uh, Vacation Bible School. And we were not there to do Vacation Bible School. They had a, a young group uh, from Denver, Colorado up there, four teens, early 20s, um, some of them educated, some of them not so much uh, because they were 18, you know, just got out of high school, that kind of thing. Um, and whatever the circumstance, when you're sad, let the light of Jesus shine. When you're happy, let the light of Jesus shine. Uh, when uh, you're having a bad day, let the light of Jesus shine. They did not talk about sin until Friday. I think they talked about Jesus dying for sin somewhere in the rush. But whatever, let the light of Jesus shine. And... Um, it was a little heartbreaking because it was good that the kids were there. Uh, they started out with five. They ended up with 12. And that's good. Uh, the church has now known that they've got something for the kids. And hopefully that'll bring more of them. Um, but when they come, what are we going to tell them? Let the light of Jesus shine. Isn't that nice? Yeah, it, it's nice. Will it get you into heaven? If you're going to heaven, you're going to let the light of Jesus shine. Now, you may have some bad days, I understand. But if you're going to heaven, you're a new person. you got the Spirit of God in you. He can give you joy regardless of your circumstances. You'll let the light of Jesus shine. But if you don't know Jesus and it's a bad day, you're going to let the light of your little old heart shine. And we, we think that kids can't understand if you go back to the 1800s and look at a children's hymnal, you will be absolutely flabbergasted with the amount of theology that's in those songs. 
deep and wide, deep and wide. No, no, no. We're talking theology. I used to have a 1800s children's hymnal and was absolutely amazed at some of the songs. Much deeper than many of the songs we sing today. But children don't understand. They're so smart, but they, they don't, wouldn't understand. What do you mean they wouldn't understand? They deserve a spanking. And Jesus took it for them. And if they would put their trust in who he is and what he's done, God will give them, uh, to them a, a new heart where they might actually be able to live the way God's called them to live. Children understand this kind of stuff. Okay? So notice uh, the back page of your notes, whose faith? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, faith is part of God's gift. Huh? I thought we had to believe. Uh Uh-huh, you do. But notice the word, the gift, that includes everything that is necessary for salvation. So the word saved in that uh, verse is sesosmenoi. It's a nominative, plural, masculine, participle, perfect, passive. And you're going, huh? Exactly. I totally agree with you. Uh, What I want you to get here is, notice it's passive. That means it's being done to you. And it's singular, which means it's dealing with the person that is saved. Okay. The word grace here is, uh, kariti, it's a dative singular feminine. Okay, charis or grace is a feminine word, uh, where saved is a masculine word. And then the word faith is pisteos, a genitive singular. It basically is talking about the act of believing. And there isn't a male or female in there because it's, uh, in essence, a participle or a noun or something like that. Uh, the word that and that, not of yourself, is a nominative, accusative, singular neuter, huh? Uh, the, what you need to get there is it's a, uh, it's a neuter. Now, why is that important? Because saved is masculine, grace is feminine, and you get those by faith, which it's a verb, if you will, and the word that is referring to the entire phrase, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, salvation, grace, faith, is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Now, why is that important? Well, number two, why it had to be a gift. First of all, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. It says uh, in verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. What can a dead person do other than make a stink? Nothing. So what could you do? Nothing to somehow be a part of your salvation. 
letter B, we were blind. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So what is that saying? Before you're saved, before the work of the Spirit of God in you, you're blinded to the gospel. You can't see it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't intellectually hear and understand that Christ died for your sins, uh, just like God said He would, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day, just like God said He would. But it's not important to you, because you're just fine. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is describing his pre-salvation experience. He says, you know, I once was alive before the law. And then the law came along and said, thou shalt not covet. And sin, taking opportunity by the law, killed me. Kind of like, no, you were dead, you just didn't know it. Okay? Because when the law said, thou shalt not covet, all of a sudden he realized, man, I'm coveting all over the place. What's with this? Then he realized, I got a problem with God. Elsewhere in the Scripture, Paul says, according to the law, I was perfect. Now, this is one of the things that he's saying now, because I know Christ, I count that as dung, as waste, useless material. Doesn't matter. But externally, Paul lived according to the law until his eyes were opened up to what was going on in his heart. Then he realized, uh-oh, I think I'm in trouble. Okay? So they're blinded. You, before you came to know Christ, were blinded. It was veiled to you. You didn't understand your need. And not only that, <coughs> excuse me, notice Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Now, what does this have to do with salvation? Look, if this came down to you understanding the facts and agreeing with the facts because through reason you came to the conclusion, I guess God's right here. Maybe I ought to believe in Him. Uh, that's leaning on your own understanding. God said, don't lean on your own understanding. So why would He use your understanding to bring you to that place? Now, do you get to understand something in the process and make a decision. Oh, sure enough. Sure enough, you do. But it's not because you decided to. It's because it's part of his gift. He's the one that opens your eyes, helps you to see. He convicts you of sin, lets you know about the punishment that's coming if something doesn't change, and then gives you the grace to believe. Okay, and notice point number four here. It says, so that no one should boast. See, when I come to Jesus, I can't go to other people and say, well, I believed in Jesus, so I'm going to heaven. So, on you if you don't. No, no, no. There, there's no boasting in being saved. Now, you can boast about who Jesus is and what he did on your behalf. That would be totally okay. I mean, that's kind of part of our song service type thing. Okay. But the reality is, is you didn't do a thing 
It was God's gift to you, even the faith. Not, not only that, but you might remember in Galatians uh, 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, not the old me. That, that part died, Romans chapter 6. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, all of your Bibles are probably going to say in the Son of God. I know you don't, haven't studied Greek, most of you. Dative is normally translated in. Genitive is normally translated of or from. This is a genitive. Why they decided to go in the Lord Jesus is beyond me. Because we're talking about His gift of faith in me. And, and, and we think, well, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more my faith will grow. Uh-uh. You've been given everything you need at the moment of salvation. Now, your understanding and therefore appropriation of what God has promised through faith, that'll change, that'll grow, but you've been given all the faith you need. How much faith do you need? Well, let me see. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest agrarian seed, there are smaller seeds. But here we are talking to an agricultural uh, cultural society, so we're giving them the smallest seed that they would have planted. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, rise up and be cast into the sea, and it'll happen. Okay, how much faith do you need to get saved then? It doesn't matter because you got all that you need when, you believe, when uh, God worked in your heart to give you this gift. Oh, okay. And, and when you think about that, how many of you have cast mountains into the ocean lately? Okay. Claire says she has. I'm not sure that that's been documented yet. Yes, I'm picking on Claire. Um, but the, the reality is, is how much faith do we need for everyday life? And we are called to walk by faith. Okay, notice number two, salvation includes, first of all, justification. Romans 3.22 and following, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. And of course, you know the next verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what do we see here? That the righteousness of God through faith in Christ is given to everyone who believes. Uh, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Uh, chapter 4, verse 5, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So justification, first of all, justification is God declaring or making righteous people in his sight. How does he do that? When we put our trust in who Christ is and what he's done, God imputes Christ's righteousness Notice again, Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, uh, But God made him who knew no sin 
to be sin for you. He imputed your sins on Christ that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When we trust him, God imputes his righteousness to our account. So we are now called by God righteous. Not only that, justified, his children, adopted into his family, all kinds of wonderful things like that. But notice number two, imputed righteousness, uh, Romans 4, 6, and 8. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, in verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now, think about that with me for a minute, because man already has this sin. But the idea of God imputing it to him is now God is going to hold him accountable for that sin. When you have the imputed righteousness of Christ, you're not held accountable for that sin anymore. Why? Because it's already been paid for. And therefore, you are blessed. The idea of blessed is, oh, how very happy. That's the idea. Oh, how very happy is the man whose sin is not imputed to him. Might mean we should smile more as Christians. I I don't know, just saying. Okay. What's another uh, thing that salvation includes? Eternal life. Eternal. I've been thinking about the eternality of God lately. I've been reading through A.W. Tozer's um, The Knowledge of the Holy. And if that doesn't start twisting your mind a little bit, it's kind of, you know, you're just not totally sure sometimes. This guy is writing back in the 60s. In fact, I think the book might have been late 50s, early 60s. <coughs> He's complaining about the church with a watered-down gospel message, with a lack of understanding of who God is and what He's like. This is about the time I was born, he's complaining about this. So don't tell me that it's not a problem today, because it's all downhill, you know? Um, But uh, when you think about the eternality of God, um, when we think of eternal, we're thinking time. Time doesn't start until creation. Okay? Because when he creates something, now you have matter, you have time. Before that, we call that eternity past. (laughs) Eternity, that's a time word. There's no time going on. It's God. And and then, here's time. From creation until... (sighs) Whenever this ends. (laughs) And, And I don't know. Okay, I know I have the tribulation coming up, a thousand-year reign of Christ. We're, we get to reign with Him on the earth. Everything's like paradise, cool. And then we go into eternity, another time word. Yeah, but what does God mean is going to be going on then? He doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us. Well, we have Revelation 21 and 22. Read it carefully. Who can't go into the holy city? Anything that's an abomination... If we're in eternity, is there anything that's an abomination left? I don't think so. So why does he have to say that unless 
the eternal, uh, the celestial city is there during that millennial kingdom where there's still sin and sinners. In fact, it says a child would die at the age of 100. Why would he die at the age of 100? Because he's meant to live a thousand years, and the only people that will be killed during that time are those who are openly rebellious because Jesus is going to be ruling with a rod of iron. That's why a child dies at the age of 100. Oh. So people are going to be around for a thousand years. Can you just imagine that? We're bored after 60. Just, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there will be things to do, even if it's to go to lay down with the lion and the lamb. But the uh, whole point being is I don't know what eternity holds other than we're going to be there with God. Why? Because we have his life in us. We have eternal life. Okay. Now, here, let's put time in this parentheses. Eternity, 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 because God doesn't live in time. He operates in time. I believe I was saved on September 6th, 1981, at about 12.15 in the afternoon. God operated in time. I have no idea that could be true. Um, but God doesn't live in time. He lives in eternity. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He already sees me glorified at the end of at least this age. How can he do that? Because he's already there. In fact, I'm already seated in the heavenlies. How can I say that? Because he's already there when it's happening. I see that's all time for us, but not for God. And he's given us this life that's eternal that'll last forever. Uh, let me read a couple of verses for you. John 3.16, hopefully you know it by heart. Uh, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So eternal life includes never perishing. What is perishing all about? Well, we'll get there in just a minute. How about uh, John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29? He's talking about His sheep, and He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. The security of the believer right there. I've actually had people tell me, well, you could jump out of his hand. Kind of like, and, and how do you do that exactly? Well, you know, you could sin bad enough. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Notice in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. What's the condition? they got to be in Christ Jesus. How does one get in Christ Jesus? They're saved by grace through faith, and all of that is not of themselves. It is a gift of God. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So you see how they all fit together. Another thing that we uh, get in our salvation is reception of the blessing of Abraham. Uh, that new covenant that the cup was representing uh, is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You'll find it in Jeremiah 31. 
31 to 37, Ezekiel 11, 19 to 20, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. But here in the book of Galatians, we also see a few things here. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 29, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we get to receive the blessings of Abraham. What are they? Well, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are new creations. According to the new covenant, God's going to put it within us a new heart and a new spirit with His law written on it. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, all things are becoming new. Now, some of your versions may say, everything is new. Yeah, I've been at it for 41 years, and can I tell you, there's still some things becoming new. Like my eyes are being opened to a few things. It's kind of like, oh, cool, I didn't see it that way before. You know, that keeps on happening even after so many years. Um, so we're new creatures. Uh, number two, we have a new relationship. God is our God. He says this in the new covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people. No, notice the choice in there. They, they, they get to choose whether or not. No, no, they're going to be. End of subject. Well, how about Philippians 4.20? Now, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is one of a half a dozen verses that talks about God being our God and our Father. Romans 8, uh, I think it's 16, uh, he's not given us the spirit of fear again to bondage, but the spirit whereby we get to cry out, Daddy! Abba, Father! Abba just means daddy. And, you know, Rick's got the newest one. There's a few other new ones in here, too, and we're looking forward to a few more new ones. And uh, as these kids grow up, boy, daddy's just about the greatest guy in the world. My dad's a superhero, you know, that kind of a thing. That's the idea there. They're, they're looking at God as though, wow, he is so awesome. Better than bananas and peanut butter with chocolate chips on it. You know, just saying. Okay, so we have a new relationship. We have a new standing. He, he says, I'm going to forgive their sins and I'm going to clean them. You remember when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. Well, when you go back to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 there, he says that he's going to sprinkle them with water and clean them. That's what he's referring to. 
most commentators will say, well, you got to have this natural birth because, you know, the water breaks and it spills all over the place and it's really, you know, gross and all that kind of stuff. And then you got to have the spirit. No, no, no. He's not talking about the natural birth at all because the only people that can be born again done already been born. Again, catch that. It's a second time. They've already been born. They don't need to be born of water at that point. They need to be born of water after that point. So he's not referring to natural birth. He's talking about what happens uh, when a person's saved. They are cleansed and forgiven of their sins. Uh, Romans uh, 8, uh, oh, I missed that one. Ephesians 1, 7. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now notice he doesn't say out of. He says according to. How big are the riches of God's grace? Immeasurable. Okay, think back in the Old Testament where his covenant-keeping love endures forever and his mercies are new every morning. There doesn't come a day where you sinned so much that God says, okay, that's it, I'm done. No more for you. It, it doesn't happen. I know, there's a little Italian uh, in there, but, oh, you know. Um, the reality is, is the sins, all of them, are forgiven. They've been paid for. There is no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. I hope that excites you. Just see a couple of faces that are still awake. Okay. Number four, we have a new power. Oh, wow. In, in studying the gospel, I am absolutely amazed at the promise of the Spirit, how important that is. Guess what? It's attached to his resurrection and ascension. Without those... We don't get the Spirit. And now we have the Spirit of God living in us, praying for us. Uh, Romans 8, 17, 18, thereabouts, uh, without words that can be uttered according to the will of God. Does God listen to God when he prays for his children according to God's will? Here the Spirit of God is praying for you according to the will of God to God the Father, and the Father is sitting there saying, no, I ain't going to do it. I don't think so. Okay? These are answered prayers, and he lives within us. He knows every little detail of everything that's going on, at which point we're all going, yeah, everything. And he's praying for you according to the will of God. He might convict you. Hopefully you're listening. But no, notice Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus delivers me from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. Why? It's not me that sins. It's sin in me that is still activated, still influencing. And I end up sinning, but not the new creature. New creature can't sin. It's me in this body still. You want to overcome that? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's basically what that's saying. So we have this new power. 
And then number five, we have a new confidence. Um, in, in Jeremiah uh, 31, 34 to 37, he says, look, if you don't think I'm going to keep this promise, I want you to understand something. If you can number the stars of heaven and measure the foundation of the world, then and only then will I not keep this promise. Like, like the sun, every day it comes up and it goes down. And the moon, those things are set in order. When they stop, then and only then will I not keep this promise. It's going to happen. New covenant for the nation of Israel. We're already participating in the blessings of Abraham, which are all found in the new covenant. And it's irrevocable for them. You think it might be irrevocable for us? You can't undo this salvation that God has given us? Uh, Romans eight thirty-five to 39 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. Uh, We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, by the way, that covers everything. Everything is included in death or life. Okay? He goes on to say, nor, prince, uh, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, our salvation is secure. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. These are all the blessings of Abraham. And then, of course, the last point here, letter D, hope of glorification. For we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Colossians 1.27 To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wait a minute. The first one sounded like, I have this hope that God's going to be glorified. This one seems to say, that I have the hope of glory. Not that God would be glorified, but somehow I'm going to be? Well, let's read on. How about 1 Peter 1.3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, is the resurrection important? Look, the concept of our hope is that God says someday he's coming back and he's going to take us to be with him. And when we see him, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. I don't know about you, but sounds pretty good to me. I'm not going to be the me that y'all know. And you're going, amen, hallelujah. And I'm, I know that you're not going to be the you that I know. All those little things that are irritating about us, God's going to take care of it. We're going to be like Him. So we have the hope of glorification. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that we're raised uh, in glory. Uh, when the rapture happens, whether you're dead or alive at that time, this mortal puts on immortality. This corrupted puts on incorruptibility. 
In other words, there's not going to be any more problems with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The things that I want to do, I don't do those. Uh Uh-uh, that ain't going to be a problem anymore. The things that I hate, those are the things I do. That's not going to be a problem anymore. We are going to be glorified, raised in glory. And then, of course, notice reigning with him. And because of time, I'm going to let you look up a lot of these verses on your own. But let me give you a couple. And if children, if you're born again, you're a child of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, the first thing we think about when we think about suffering is the concept of persecution. In the context Persecution isn't mentioned for another 17 verses. So what's he talking about suffering with him? In the context, Romans chapter 7. Things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. Things that I hate, those are the things I do. That's suffering. Are you suffering with him today? Well, it says right here that if you're suffering with him, you're going to reign with him. You're going to be glorified together with him. I don't know about you, but this whole concept of salvation, all that God does on our behalves, we did what? We believed in him with the faith that he gave us. See, we walk by faith. Why? Because this whole thing got started that way. And even that wasn't us. Next week, we'll look a little bit more about the continued walk of faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the salvation that you have blessed us with. I know, Lord, there might be someone here that doesn't know you yet, and I know that your word, (laughs) it can be convicting at times. So, Lord, if they're here, pray that your spirit might open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, that they might believe. For those of us who have, we thank you for the remembrance of all that you have blessed us with. And and I know we haven't covered it all, Lord. I would ask that you might open our eyes and our hearts to the things that you have given to us and that we might be able to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because of what you've done. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I hope that this morning hasn't been boring. Talked about a subject that happened to most of you so many years ago, and sometimes it's easy to kind of think that I'm past that. I want you to understand, this is a great thing that we have. Born again, the life of God in us. Let's get excited. Let's tell other people. Let's live it before them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us on our behalf. We thank you for the changes that you have made in us. We recognize, Lord, that those changes are not done. And sometimes we get frustrated with the process. But we thank you, Lord, that you have made us into your child. And your love will never be taken from us. Open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us so that we may walk by faith, 
and honor and glorify you in it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.